Jesus said, when you pray, not if you pray, if you find yourself getting around to it, when you pray. How many of you would say you pray daily, and I'm not judging, I'm just asking, show of hands, you pray daily. How many of you pray weekly? If you raise your hand for daily, you should probably have your hand still up. So, <laughs> so you're like, very weekly. <laughs> All right, dad jokes. But how many of you find yourself just praying throughout the day? You kind of don't know when you start and when you stop. You're just kind of constantly chatting with God. Anybody? Some of you? Me too. Well, Jesus had a whole lot to say about prayer, but I think today's one um, might be the most challenging we've looked at. So we saved the best for last. Will you join me in Matthew 5, 43 through 48? As you're turning there, this is called the Sermon on the Mount. Literally, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is the longest recorded teaching of Jesus. Um, And there's lots of different ways that we've been referencing it. And we will end the year looking at what Jesus said about blessings. And so be ready for that around, you know, the holidays. We'll be looking at what he says is blessed. And another word for blessed is content. Another word for content in that word is happy. And so we often say we want to be happy. How many of you want others to be happy in your life? How many of you want to be happy? Right? How many of you believe that God actually knows the best way for us to be blessed, content, and happy? Most of us raise our hands. And I believe you. And I also believe that you and I are on a a whirlwind tour of this world. And we're constantly needing to be reminded of who he is and what he says. And so when we say Jesus said... We take that super seriously. We know that that's the only hope that we have, including the repentance for when we go elsewhere. Well, join me in what Jesus said, Matthew 5, 43 43 through 48. You've heard it said, or it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be sons of your Father who's in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. This is an all inclusive statement from Jesus. Everybody gets grace, everybody gets what they need. Everybody. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? Now, remember, he's talking about a group of people who we're going to talk about one of them a little bit later in the message. This is a group of people that everybody in his audience would know is like, boo, tax collectors. Hate them. Terrible. They're dirty. Anybody ever have problems with the IRS? Some of you are like, yeah, currently... I've had problems. In the past, I've had problems. Some of you are just like, I hate paying taxes. So I have a problem with the IRS, right? Well, these guys were the IRS backed by a soldier or 10 getting the taxes from their people. And he's like, look, even those jacked up people who take more money from their family and friends and countrymen 
than they need to to get rich. Even they love people that love them. You're no better than them. He's calling them out. Oh, we're way better than them. Yeah, but not if you don't love this way. And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? He's talking to a Jewish audience, and he's like, you're no better than the rest of the world. You, therefore, must be perfect, whole, complete, as your Father is perfect, whole, complete. This is what Jesus said. How are you? I'm praying for those who persecute you, like Jesus said. I'm not asking you to testify. I'm asking you to actually consider that. You're like, I'm not really all that persecuted. Or maybe you feel like you are now because of just the world that we live in. But maybe that's just lost for you. So maybe it has to be for those who oppose you. Maybe those who are your enemies, those who disagree with you, those who think you're dumb. And I don't just mean your children. (laughs) I just constantly think of Mark Twain's quote. When I was 17... My father didn't know anything. When I was 21, it was amazing how much the old man had learned. (laughs) (laughs) Or the children, move out now while you still know everything. But it's not like we don't think, oh, my, the enemies are those in my own household. Actually, let's be real. Some of the people that you have the biggest problems with are the people that you're related to. And you might pray for them, but the prayer will go a little something like this. Dear God, change her. (laughs) She's a knucklehead. Help her to be more like me. Or help her to get along with me. Help her to do what I tell her to do. Or him, or whatever the case may be. It's not how Jesus said it. As a matter of fact, if you want just to really dig a little bit deep with me and go to our roots of where this came from for Jesus. It came hundreds and hundreds of years earlier in a prophecy known as the sacrificial servant prophecies. Please join me in Isaiah 53. We spent a lot of time in this, so I'm not going to elaborate a ton on it, but I want to take you to Isaiah 53, 12. The suffering servant, the suffering sacrifice, the sacrificial servant. This has been called a number of things. There's five different chapters on this. But it ends with this one. Therefore, I will divide him. He's talking about his servant. This is a reference to Jesus. I'll I'll divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. He's talking about salvation. He's going to pay his price for us, and he's going to be given this victory and this treasure, this spoil, and he's going to share it with those who are strong. Let me tell you something about the good news of Jesus Christ. He's the one that's strong. You and I bring weak to the table, and that's okay. We're poor and needy, as I read earlier in Isaiah or in Psalm 86, and we prove it in a lot of different ways, right? But he's saying, look, the strong are going to actually win. Because he poured out his soul to death. Not because you did. Paul just said it. We just took communion. This is getting strangely repetitious. You need the good news to be repeated to you. 
I know I do too. So he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. That's with those who are criminals, sinners, the wrongdoers. Yet he bore the sin of many and he makes intercession or prays for the transgressors. Jesus never did anything wrong and yet, as we're about to read and as we've been reminded, was hung on a cross between two criminals. They're called robbers. That sounds like you just kind of snuck into somebody's house. Well, these guys actually killed and stole. They were blatant about it, brazen. And that's who Jesus was stuck between. Two broken individuals and he actually prayed from the cross. Let's go to that real quick. Luke 23. This is nearing the end of Jesus' life. He's been arrested already. He's been mock-trialed. And then he had to carry his cross. And he was so beat up and so at a loss for strength because he had lost so much blood that they made a guy named Simon from Cyrene carry his cross for him. And then they crucified Jesus on the cross. And he's up there. And he's in the middle of literally the worst possible thing that you can think of. And it was prophesied hundreds of years earlier that he would be up there. And that he would actually pray for the people doing that to him. Well, that's Jesus. Amen. If you're his people, he lives in you. So what we're about to look at as the example is indeed the exception to the rule, but we're exceptional people because of our exceptional God. So let's look at this story a little bit. Luke 23, 32. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that's called the skull, good name for it, it's where people got killed, there were crucified with him, and the excuse me, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. Forgiveness is powerful. It set all of us free who have been set free. Jesus says, Father, forgive them right in the middle of them killing him. But wait, there's more. They rolled dice for his clothes. He won't be needing them. And in that moment, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Who is he talking about? The dice players, which were Roman soldiers? The two guys next to him, who were criminals that deserved to die? according to the law at hand? Was he praying for the people who were down there mocking him as we're about to read? Was he praying for anybody else, like maybe you and me? Recently, there's been a lot of challenge to the fact that Jesus was killed. And it comes from Jamie Foxx, of all people. He sends out a tweet or whatever they're calling it now. It says, 
hey, they killed Jesus. And immediately people thought he was being anti-Semitic. Do you know who put Jesus on the cross? Yeah. Everybody. God. Jesus put himself there. He could have fought it. The Romans physically did it. The Jewish leaders gave him over, but it was our sin that he was paying for. You know what's crazy? What held Jesus to the cross wasn't the nails. It was the love. Not his love for sin. His love for sinners. And so it should make sense somehow, some way that he's up there being crucified for all of our sin that he actually says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I started geeking out on this a little bit and realized that there's a lot of different sacrifices in the book of Exodus. And I definitely went down a rabbit hole. So I tell you that I'm not giving you anywhere close to where I went on this. Or other people who have just spent their lives looking at this. But there's a sacrificial system for all kinds of things that you do accidentally. There's sacrifices for it. There's forgiveness for it. There's payment for it. But even if you didn't mean to do it, you still had to pay a sacrifice. But you know there wasn't sacrifice for one thing. Please join me in Exodus We'll go 21, 14. This is a little scary. But if a man willfully attacks another to kill him by cunning, Jesus was betrayed, he was lied about, and he was hung on the cross. That's very cunning. He was being killed. You shall take him from my altar, where he was trying to ask for forgiveness, that he may die. It's a big deal. Again, I'll bring you to the whole ignorance, I'm sorry, I was accident thing in a second, but Jesus is saying there's no, or his word is saying there's no forgiveness in the law for willfully sinning. So was Jesus ignoring the Old Testament? Or was Jesus fulfilling it by saying, There's actually one sacrifice. And it's the one who can say, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Even though they willfully set out to do this. I'll let you be the judge of that, but we're going to go to a quote from a guy who actually has struggled significantly, and I don't even know that he's still in ministry. But he wrote this amazing commentary. I don't know how often you've noticed, but nobody's perfect. And this guy has been a mess, but this is a great word for us to consider. John Corson is his name, and it's his application commentary. One's ignorance that what he's doing is wrong doesn't negate his responsibility to pay a price. You ever accidentally hurt somebody? Like, legitimately, right? You accidentally step on their toes. You, you throw something and it hits them. I'm, now I'm getting specific. But, I mean, there's just things. You accidentally hurt somebody. And you're like, oh, gosh, I'm so sorry, right? You say, I'm sorry. And they're still hurt. The next thing that comes out of your mouth is, but I didn't mean to. 
Oh, okay, then it doesn't hurt anymore. We get like that a little bit. Just because you didn't mean to doesn't mean it wasn't wrong. And he's saying, look, there's still a price to be paid, especially if you go back to Exodus 21. And there's some stuff in there about people who accidentally hurt people, but when you intentionally kill somebody, your life is required of you. No matter who it was that was responsible to put Jesus on the cross, it was sinners who forced that to happen, which includes all of us. And then he says this. This is why the longer you walk with the Lord, the more you'll understand both the necessity and the depth of God's forgiveness. I got no hope apart from the forgiveness of Jesus. How about you? Oh, well, I mean, I've been walking with the Lord for 14 years, so I'm good. But back then, I really needed him. I mean, the, more, the closer we get to the real deal, the more we realize we desperately need him. So I want to say this to you. Jesus not only commanded forgiveness, he fulfilled it. He fulfilled forgiveness. Hey, forgive those, right? Like, again, in the Sermon on the Mount and the Lord's Prayer that Kay shared with us a few weeks ago. Like, forgive those who trespass against you, that transgress you, that hurt you, that offend you. Forgive them. I'm throwing that out like it's easy. It's not. You're going to need God for this one, friends. But this was like prophesied hundreds of years before that this was going to happen, and it did, and he forgave. So let's go back to the story. Luke 23, 35 through 43, he has just prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, as they're casting lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he's the Christ of God, his chosen one. Whoo-wee. They're kind of in the spot where it looks like they're winning. And so they double down on mocking Jesus. They double down on cursing him. They double down on doubting him. And yet somewhere inside of them, they're like, well, if he really is the big deal, come and save yourself. One other spot in the Gospels, Jesus says, don't you think that I could call down a legion of angels and wipe out all of this? But I'm doing this to fulfill the scriptures. He's doing this because we needed him to. So the soldiers mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, which also fulfilled the prophecy from Psalm 69. And they said, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. Isn't that about right? If you have the ability to save yourself, you're supposed to, right? Right? That's what they would have done. Hey, if you're the king, then save yourself. 
This sounds like something that happened early on. Jesus was actually tempted by the devil after 40 days of going without food to make food, to cast himself down, to be saved by the angels, all the things. And Jesus is like, this is not how it goes. You don't get to run the show. I willingly laid down my life, he told Pontius Pilate. You don't have the authority to kill me unless authority has been given to you. I mean, he just goes through it. And so are you supposed to save yourself? Look, I live in a world just like you that we really self-harm in lots of different ways. People please and all that. But there comes a point where we're so into being in charge that we dishonor God, we dishonor ourselves, and we dishonor people all in the name of saving ourselves. All in the name of being our own savior. And Jesus, who is the Savior, gets mocked. Look, let's just go on with the story. 39, verse 39. One of the criminals who were hanged railed against him. We find out that it was both of them to begin with. They both had equal access to the Savior of the world. They literally, all three of them, were a captive audience. They were there for hours, suffering, Sometimes talking, sometimes not, sometimes passing out. But one of them, who's up there, he's going through what he's going through, and he's railing against Jesus. Can somebody really quick, for those of us who aren't super smart, what does it mean to rail against somebody? Okay, temper tantrum, nice. Rage. This guy's dying. And this is what he says to Jesus. This is how he rails against him. Are you not the Christ? Aren't you the one who can save everybody? Save yourself and us. But the other got interrupted that day. He didn't go back to his old stuff. His eyes were open, church. He saw something in Jesus that's true. The other criminal rebuked the criminal yelling at Jesus saying, Do you not fear God since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, like we're receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus... Remember me when you come into your kingdom. I've thought about this a lot this week. One man's dying and curses Jesus, but still wants him to save him if he really is the Messiah. And he's mocking him, he's scoffing, but he's also, but maybe? But he mocks him. The other one, on the other side of Jesus, is saying, look, um, I don't know when and how you're coming into your kingdom, but I believe you will be. Will you remember me when that happens? Someday? <laughs> Jesus says, truly I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Again, it's a good news, bad news thing, right? Good news is you're going to be with me forever. The bad news is we're going to paradise today. <laughs> We're all dying today. We don't have any 
record of the other guy going, oh, wait, it's that easy? You just admit that you need him and you ask him for help? Hey, can I get in on that, Jesus? I'm sorry. Uh Uh-uh. He stuck with it. You have access to Jesus by his grace. Are you doubling down and saying, whatever, if you were so good, you'd make my family better. You'd make my life better. You'd make my job better. You'd make whatever better if you are the one. Or have you been like, okay, God, wow, right now in the darkest spot of my life, I just need you. Remember me. And he's not like, ah, your name again? He loves you. He sees you. If you will, gosh, I just, I skipped Psalm 22. And so if you're all right, Zach, I'm going to go to 17 and 18, and then I'll go back. Listen to this. Psalm 22, again, written hundreds of years before Jesus was even born. Psalm 22, verse 17 and 18. I count all my bones. They stare and they gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Jesus couldn't make them gamble over his clothes. He chose to be submitted to it, and he was being crucified. Hundreds of years earlier, this was prophesied. This is going to happen. And it did. Go to verses 6 through 8. In Psalm 22, but I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. Check. All who see me mock me. Check. They make mouths at me. (laughs) That was just like a weird statement. Can you guys show me what you think that means? I don't even know. Anybody got a, they make mouths at me. Yeah, you're going to die. I don't know. I'm not sure what it was. But I'm going to probably say check on that too. They wag their heads. Yep, that happened. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him. For he delights in him. You guys, they mocked Jesus. And it was coming and Jesus knew it. And as a rabbi, as a teacher, he would have known this messianic psalm. He would have known it was coming. Do you remember what he prayed last week that we looked at? If this can pass, let it be. But if not, your will be done. Nevertheless, he said, your will be done. This was prophesied. And Jesus didn't avoid it. He knew they were doing all of this. And he forgave them. Because as we're about to read, that's what he does. Please join me one more time in the book of Luke. But we're going to go to Luke 19. Be 9 through 10. A little story about a guy named Zacchaeus. And some of you who grew up with the flannel boards or in church, you know that he was a wee little man. And a wee little man was he. And he couldn't see, so he climbed a sycamore tree. Right? We're just hearing all the lyrics now. But he got up in the tree to see Jesus. And Jesus, walking, stops, 
looks up in the tree. He's like, hey, Zacchaeus, get down. Because I'm going to your house today. I'm going to your house today. And it was beautiful. And immediately upon Jesus entering his house for this meal, Zacchaeus just says, I'm so sorry. I've blown it so bad. I've stolen from people. and Whatever I have, I'm paying everybody back. And Jesus says this in Luke 19, 9 and 10. Today salvation has come to this house since he's also a son of Abraham. This is the tax collector he was talking about. He's the son of Abraham. Salvation has come to his house. Church, you know why salvation came to his house? Because Jesus decided to go to his house. Not because he was, oh, I'm repentant. Here, let me pay for my sins. You can't. There's sin debt that nobody can pay for, but Jesus, but salvation has come to his house, and then this is it. For the Son of Man, Jesus says, himself, Messiah, came to seek and save the lost. There's this American football player named Patrick Mahomes. He's a quarterback. He had this great comeback, and he's yelling, this is what I do. This is what I do. You win football games, bro. Good. Congrats. It's impressive. Huge men, super strong and fast, chasing you down. You know what Jesus can say? This is what I do. Saves people. (laughs) This is what I do is what he says in this passage. This is why I can forgive, and this is why I call you to forgive. This is why I call you to pray for those who persecute you. This is what I do. But if that's not enough, I'm going to ask you this question. I'm going to ask you to consider some answers, and I'm just going to show you a couple of verses that give me the answer to keep praying for those who me no like so much sometimes and who I know don't like me so much. Why and how can I forgive my enemies? Anybody have a quick answer for that? Those who are opposed to you? Why and how? What's that? Because we've been forgiven. Ephesians 4, 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving one another, just as in Christ, God forgave us. Good. How and why? Any be- I don't think you're going to find a better answer than that, but is there any other motivation for you? What's that? Come on. Thanks, Priscilla, to free ourselves. You forgive others and you get free? What? That doesn't even seem fair. There's precedent for that. Any other reasons? Come on. Mm. Amen. I'll say this, and not as a correction, Eric, but we're all made in his image. We're not in this family until (laughs) we surrender. He loves us like a daddy loves children, but he doesn't call people his children until they are. But he's right. He's not wanting anybody to perish. Do you know that he actually commands us? And the closer I get to the Lord, the more I want to do what he says because he's awesome. So we've been forgiven, we've been loved. He wants us to do the same. 
and he commands us to. He uses us to call people. so good, Darcy. I mean, and so here we sit among so many people's stories where they've still got stuff aching. People have hurt you so deeply. And you got some pastor who doesn't know your story. You got some pastor who worse probably knows your story and is still saying, yeah, you need to forgive people. This isn't something that I've like heard about only. I've had to do this and I still have to do this. I don't have a great step-by-step process other than recognize that Jesus is our perfect example. He knew it was coming. It was prophesied, and he still went through all of it, and he forgave, and he said, forgive those who are your enemies. Be kind to your enemies. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Why and how? Join me in Romans 5, and we'll end with these verses here. Romans 5, and we'll go 6. I'm going to skip down to 8 through 11. Listen to what God's word calls everybody who Jesus died for. To Eric's point, that was everybody, by the way, but not everybody recognizes that. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. If you're keeping track of who you were before Jesus died for you and you received that by faith and recognized you couldn't save yourself, you were weak and ungodly. But as I said earlier, wait, there's more. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still Sinners. Okay, now there's three things. Weak, ungodly, sinners. Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, not by anything you could do. Good news, church, you can't save yourself, but there's a Savior and he loves you. Weak, godly, sinner that you were. His blood paid for your price. So since therefore we've now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. I love it. I've told you that there's three things that describe us. Here's two other ones if we're in him. Justified by his blood, saved from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, whoo, church, what were we? Who was an enemy of God? I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I know, I know, I'm not an enemy of God. He's God. I'm not. By God's grace, you got that now. But do you know that what you were when he died for you? Put him up. Put him up. <laughs> a little shout out for my uncle who passed away. He's a big fan of the Cowardly Lion, which is such an ironic title. But anyways. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. 
More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians that we've got the ministry of reconciliation. Why and how should we forgive people and pray for people who persecute us? Because we've been set free. And we get to live like it. Oh, gosh, that's tough. This week I had a conversation with Sultan Mayor Russell. I call him Wita. He says Wita sometimes. It's his name, so I'll say Wita. I'm blessed to have known him since he was in middle school, which he was way taller than me when he was in middle school, but whatever. And we were talking about a lot of different things in a rambling conversation, which is wonderful. I don't know if you know this about Russell, but he is a pretty hardcore conservative Republican man. Has been since probably his freshman year, doubled down on it, and went to, of all places, the University of Washington. Not necessarily known as a bastion for conservative thought. But a little bit. There's some there. But he found out very early, if he was going to be friends with people and understand people, he was going to have to not, and I quote, otherize people. He aimed to not otherize people. Oh, those are the others. It's the us and them. He actually engaged in conversation with people that didn't think like him, talk like him, have a background like him, that were much smarter than him, his words. And he found himself humanizing them. And so in a move towards Jesus, I want to learn from Mayor Russell. I want to ask you to not otherize people. I want to ask you, as Jesus commanded us, to pray for those who are the others in your mind. So your move towards Jesus might actually have to start with flat-out salvation. I am not the king. I've heard all this story about my price being paid by Jesus. Lord, it's true. I needed you to pay for me. I couldn't pay for myself. Please forgive me. I thank you. I love you. Have my life. I believe that you rose from the dead. I believe all of this. And so today's your day. You're saved. You're set apart for his glory. And that glory is going to look like some tough stuff sometimes. And so for some of you, the next step is to be freed up and to actually pray for those who oppose you. Pray for your enemies. Love them. Do something nice for them. That's dumb. It's only dumb if you're the king. Since the king of kings laid down his life for you, just follow his example and you're not being dumb. You're being really smart. How do I do it? Pray? Maybe that's a step before. He's like, God, help me to want to? Because you can sit there right now. You're like, you don't know what all these things are. I don't, but Jesus does, and he's the one that said to do it. And he modeled it for us. Some of you, though, you've moved towards Jesus in those areas, and yet you find yourself remembering. And so maybe like me, you see somebody that's got something against you, or you've got something against them, but you've already forgiven them. And you see them, and you act like, oh, it's a phone call. And you avoid it. It's time to step in. Hi, how are you guys doing? I heard you had another baby. How's the crops? I don't know. We don't talk like that. But you know what I'm saying. (laughs) 
How's work? How's your family? And for some of you, I mean, you're just clicking right along. But you're afraid to share your story about doing that because it maybe makes you sound perfect. Share the whole story with somebody. Share it with your kids. This is what I've been forgiven of and from, and this is how I've been able to forgive others. I don't say come in and waltz all over me, but I don't hate them, and I don't remember them and think, gosh, if a truck hit them, would that be bad? And you can be like, no, here I am. You've been brought into fellowship with God if you are saved. He forgave you and died for you, us, when we were enemies. So as Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's the step today. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you so much for who you are. I praise you, Lord, that you are our example. You are our strength when we're weak. You're the only one who can help us to do this. And you not only help us, but you call us to do it and you give us the strength to do it. And Lord, I pray for wisdom and discernment, but probably most of all, Lord, I pray for courage that we would be these kind of people. God, help us to follow what Jesus said. Help us to honor you. I thank you for those who are getting saved, Lord, like apart from you, they can't do anything. And then when we're saved, apart from you, we can't do anything. And we're not apart from you, so we can do all the things that you call us to do. Maybe not all at once, but we can start. And so give us the ability to do that, I pray in Jesus' righteous name. Amen. Hey, God bless you. You're going to hear me say it again, but be strong and courageous and let it be contagious. Do not keep the good news to yourself. Go live it out. God bless you.